0: So I don't know if you've ever been like me in that. Um, well, maybe you can finish this statement. I wish I knew then. <laughs> so you have you have been there. I've been there in almost every single area of my life. Man, I wish I knew then what I know now. I'm 52 now, and uh, and I think about growing up and getting married and all these kinds of things, and this is a picture of my wife and I when we got married. Uh, in August, it'll be 30 years uh, from, from then, but I wish I knew then what I know now, because during the ceremony, uh, I think my number one thought was, I am starving right now, And they were making because I knew I was getting married, I knew it was going to last a long time, I knew it was going to, you know it was going to be fine. but I wish I knew then what I know now about how rich of a relationship this is going to be. all the ups and downs of raising children, what is it like to buy a house and almost lose a house? and what is it like to just laugh until your side aches, and what is it like to go through struggles together and to raise a kid that has needs you know and uh, and go through so many hospital visits together it's like it's like I, part of me wishes I could go back and go man I wish I knew then what I know now we bought a house when I was we were young we had gotten out of college and we both had jobs and we thought oh this is buy a house we'll buy a fixer-upper that's that's what we'll do a fixer-upper now I, I learned from my dad and my dad had three tools a hammer duct tape and a Phillips head screwdriver those were his and he was v- fairly certain you could pretty much fix anything with that so I thought well, I, I, I got those tools I got all the tools I need to fix up my house here's a picture of me in what we call the blue room uh, and I wish I knew them what I know now I uh, if you notice um, I wasn't wearing shoes so my feet looked like hobbits feet and uh, because I didn't have I only had two pairs of shoes I didn't want to get paint on them so I just they're just covered in paint I'm covered in paint Um, this is Chinese food that was good Uh, back then I drank a lot of Diet Coke that was good Um, but I wasn't very good at fixing things so I employed my wife (laughs) this is the proper way to take uh, wallpaper off the off the wall um, I wish I knew then what I know now. I sanded all the walls in, in the living room rather than just ripping it off and putting up new drywall. It's way faster and it looks better. But I sanded them all. Spent days sanding. I wish I knew then what I know now. You don't have your wife take asbestos off the ceiling. I didn't know, there was, I didn't know that, 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 that acoustic stuff has asbestos in it. I found that out later. And so we had the appendage removed that grew out of Lisa's back. Uh, And so that was good. I wish I knew then what I know now, uh, that when it says hardwood floors throughout, uh, and those hardwood floors are covered with carpet, you ask a very important question. Did the previous owner have any pets? Um, Here's what it looks like. Um, So this this is my sister she's pretending she's being eaten this is a urine stain Mm mm-hmm so is this back here Uh, right here and right uh, let's see oh and over here yeah so I had to in order to get that urine stain out I had to use a uh, disc sander with a pad that you'd use to sand concrete okay I wish I knew uh, I wish I knew then what I know now. Um, I'm going to talk about a guy that I am super sure I'm almost positive. He had this going on in his life almost every day. His name is Peter, and he spent three years with Jesus, and he was kind of rough, and he was a fisherman, and he kind of went around, and he was in control, and he would, he would chase little kids away. You know, you don't, you don't want to get in the way of the master. He would, um, you know, kind of control things. If there was too many crowds or if somebody interrupted Jesus on his way somewhere, he, Peter would kind of step in. He's kind of like a, a bouncer, right? And he'd step in and go, hey, you're going to have to go, go the other way. Peter also denied Jesus in probably one of the most famous stories of the Bible, Jesus was on the, uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, and they came to get him. And his first idea was to grab a sword and, you know, go fight this way, because that's what they believed. They believed the Messiah was going to lead them into victory. And uh, so he tries that, and Jesus says, no, what are, you, what are you doing? Peter, put your sword away. Well, now that Peter didn't have his sword or wasn't allowed to use it, he ended up deserting Jesus. Peter deserted Jesus because he was afraid for his own life. And then, in this incredible turn of events, he's sitting there with basically a middle school girl who's asking him questions. And he not only denies Jesus three times, he says, I never even knew him. And those three years of ministry they did together. I'll bet Peter, after Jesus rose from the dead, was like, man, I wish I knew then what I know now because something changed Peter's life forever. Forever. It was the resurrection. The actual physical resurrection caught Peter on fire. And Peter began the beginnings of the church. Think about this for the first 200 years of the church, they didn't have a Bible. It was being written. It hadn't even been distributed. Certain letters had been written by Paul, but they needed to then be disseminated. And how do you get them? And how do you have the right scribes to make sure nothing gets lost? The, the, the first 200 years of the church was, cre- was basically fueled by this idea that Jesus came and he died and he actually rose again. Peter, when Jesus came back from the dead. First, he ran to the tomb when he heard it was empty. He didn't believe Jesus was going to be standing in there. He wanted to know where was the body. He wanted to know exactly like you and I. Where's the body? Who took the body? Then, he, they're up in the upper room, and they're praying, and some people come, and they say, I think we've seen them." And he goes out fishing, and all of a sudden, Jesus walks on the beach. He makes up some fish, and probably has the Keurig out there, makes a little cup of coffee, or... A, I don't know, he's Jesus. He could do whatever he wants, right? And Peter jumps out of the boat and just as fast as he can gets to Jesus. And at that moment, his life is changed because he saw somebody die, he saw them buried, and he saw them rise again. I want you to see, I'm going to show you three little speeches that Peter gives at three different times when he should have, the old Peter, should have booked it out of there as fast as he could. But this is the new Peter because the event of the, registra- uh, the uh, resurrection changed his life. So what happens is he's, they're in the upper room and they're praying and this wind comes and it's the Holy Spirit. Now again, if you're new to the Bible or you're, you're struggling in your faith or you're like, man, that, that, just bear with me, and that that Holy Spirit manifests itself in manifests Himself in the the apostles uh, speaking in other languages that the people could could understand. And so we call it speaking in tongues. It's really the gift of tongues, but really it's the it's the gift of hearing. <laughs> like these people hear them in their own dialect, and so people are amazed. Other people said, "Oh, they're dr- They're drunk. And uh, Peter just you know. Uh, starts the speech. He's like, hold on, hold hold on, hold up. I got to explain exactly what's going on. That's where we find him in this first, uh, this first little speech he gives. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this is very, very important. Everybody knew about Jesus, Everybody had heard stories or seen the miracles. There were 5,000 of them who got fed one day. They didn't realize Jesus didn't come with a caravan of food. It was just 12 baskets for 5,000 people. They, they knew that. They had probably met somebody who was like, hey, Joe, I thought you had leprosy. He's like, ah, yeah, Jesus. You know, I mean, it, it, they, 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 were, they were around. They knew. And so he brings this up, like, look, he did wonders and signs, miracles. He goes on, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, listen to this boldness of Peter. This is a different Peter, why? Because he had seen the resurrected Jesus, But you, by the help of wicked men, put him to death on the cross, nailing him, uh, put him to death by nailing him to the cross, and then, Peter, with as much tenacity as he can, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep a hold on him. Peter had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus and it changed his life. Completely transformed him. And I'll bet he'd wake up in the morning, all of a sudden think about, God, man, remember when I chased those kids away? God, I wish I knew then what I know now, that Jesus brings restoration and wholeness. It doesn't matter your age or race or anything. Like, oh, man. He goes on, he quotes David, and this would be very important to the people hearing because David was very important. The Messiah was supposed to come through the line of David, and David starts talking about the Messiah and the, and the resurrection, and Peter makes this point of, he wasn't talking about himself, guys. You can go visit David's tomb right now. He's still there. Well, what's left of him? And so he goes on. He says he he was talking about seeing what, what was to come. He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. Here he goes again. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. The 12 of us. Now there's 12 again at this time there was 11 because judas hung himself and one of the criteria that you had to have to be the 12th disciple is you had to have seen the resurrected jesus the whole birth of the church rests on the fact that they were eyewitnesses to a resurrected jesus Three thousand people became follower of jesus that day do you know why because they either saw or had heard somebody talk about this resurrected Jesus. And they realized, man, this guy was it. He was the Messiah. We're going to be followers. Then, secondly, one chapter later, Jesus is, uh, Peter's at the temple. And he's walking into the temple, and uh, just like normal. And there's a guy there, Frank. And uh, Frank has a disability. I'm relatively sure with the studies I've done, because I'm a Bible scholar. Uh, Frank Frank has a, he can't walk. And so what would typically happen with people at, at those at that in antiquity there is they would sit and they'd beg in front of the temple. And when you brought your offering to the temple, you might have a little bit more that you'd give to Frank. And uh, you'd feel good about yourself and you'd go in. And so Peter walks in and he says, "I don't, I don't have any silver or gold. But then something happens. That same Holy Spirit that caused those people to, speak in various dialects, various tongues, prompts Peter. Okay, remember when Jesus healed people and you were just happy that you guys were all getting attention? Don't you wish you knew then what you know now? That Jesus actually wanted to bring wholeness to people. Why don't you go ahead and do that? And so Peter looks at him and he says, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but uh, what I do have, I can, in the name of Jesus, I want you to rise and walk picks him up by the hand and the guy gets up and he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God and he's going all around and people are like, and isn't that Frank? Has Frank been faking this the whole time? Because I swear I've given him a lot of money, (laughs) No, they go, this is a miracle. They know Frank. So they go to Peter and they start worshiping him and here's what Peter says, this bold Peter who before was happy with the crowds, happy to be part of the in crowd. Happy to be one of the disciples and would tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, don't, don't talk like that. People were getting offended. If we're going to keep this thing going to the uh, election in 2014, uh, we're going to want to make sure that uh, you, you get your words right. We don't want this tweeted out wrong. This Peter says this. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? You think this is us? Did I mention there was a resurrected Jesus? That this is the power? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. He, I guess, you know, he says it again. But you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. And he had, when he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God. Raised him from the dead. What we celebrate today at Easter is an event. A real historical event that changed the life of Peter. Changed him from a coward. Changed him from someone who cared more about the ministry than who the minister is. Who the Lamb of God is. Who cared more about politics and wishing the Romans would just get out than compassion And shalom and fullness and the kingdom of God being brought in by Jesus. God raised him from the dead. And then he says this again. We are witnesses of this. We've seen it. I've seen Jesus. I had breakfast with him just the other day. This is just seven weeks after uh, Jesus died. Everybody knew about this. He says, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man who you see and know, Frank, was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. So, Peter's second speech. That resurrection, that event has transformed transformed him. Peter's not going back. Peter's not going back to the way he was. I wonder if Peter thought to himself, some days walking along, and he's like, Well, we'll get to that when we get to what he actually wrote when he was in his 50s and 60s. Peter and John before the ruler. So, what happens is they heal this guy, and the power structure doesn't like somebody else gaining power, okay? I'm so glad we're done with that part uh, in our lives. But the, the, the powers that be are threatened by this. But the problem is, somebody got healed. So it's like, how do you manage that? Well, they got the Sanhedrin together. Very powerful group of people. This is, these are the people that handed Jesus over to, to die. That was the plan from the beginning. And they were greatly disturbed. Because the apostles, listen... The apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It's that resurrection again. This is the birth of the church. The birth of the church happened because of the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, there would be no church. The church didn't invent the resurrection. The church happened because of the resurrection. So here goes Peter. (laughs) Anytime it says Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, pay close attention, because he goes off. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people. This is the very group of people that Peter denied Jesus over. Now he's in front of them, and he's seen firsthand that they will get you killed. And Peter's like, sweet! Sweet! Because Peter knows something now that he didn't know then. That Jesus has the power over sin and death. It doesn't matter what you go through. It's not about this world. It's not about just barely getting through. It's about this indwelling of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to get through things that we never thought we could get through before. And so he, gets, he says, rulers, elders of the people, if we're being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame, and are being asked how he was healed, well then, know this. You and all the people of Israel. In other words, guess what? I ain't, I ain't stopping. So I'm not going to just talk to you. I want every single person in Israel to know this. Jesus lived, and he died, and he rose again. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Like, oh man, could you have left that one out, dude? But whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Like that's, I'm just telling you now, it's, it's Jesus, that resurrection power. Then he goes on and starts saying some really strong things. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by mankind to which we must be saved. And this is one of my, actually, one of my favorite verses. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. What were they astonished about? They took note that these men had been with Jesus. Peter was manifesting the very confidence, the very calmness, the very insight that Jesus would have. When Jesus says that he comes to bring peace, when he comes to bring strength, when he says, be anxious for nothing, you, know, you don't have to worry about that, take my yoke upon you, this is exactly what he's talking about. This is what a life with Jesus looks like. So they tell him, hey, look, great job on the healing, first of all. Uh, we all agree that was, co- that was cool. And uh, we're going to let you go. Um, but I just, we just have one little tiny criteria. You can't talk about Jesus anymore. (laughs) And Peter's like, what? I can't talk about Jesus anymore. Watch what he says. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? Go ahead, I'll wait. Yeah, (laughs) nothing, Caiaphas, nothing. And you were talking real big just a little bit before you want to, nothing? Okay, right. You be the judges. And he says this, man, this is so powerful. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. The resurrection is a big deal. It changed Peter's life. It birthed the church. And it's the power, Ephesians tells us, it's the power of the resurrection that can break the chains in your life as well. It's the power of the resurrection through what Jesus did on the cross, that payment that he made, that can take your past, wipe it out. That can take your next week and you meeting with the boss or things are happening at work and you think, man, what what would i do if i lose my job what if i don't know what if what if she leaves me what if my kids don't i don't get to see my kids what if and it says hey 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 the power of the resurrection that raised jesus from the dead is available to you as you begin to make him your lord as you begin to follow him so peter is getting gets older now and i, I he's he's in his 50s and he's writing uh, a book or a letter that gets distributed that we call First Peter. God. Like literally, we've had hundreds of years to name the book, and we're like, man, I, I'm going to stick with 1 Peter. We got to come up with something else. But anyway, it's the first uh, thing we have for Peter. And you think now, after 10 years of not having been around the resurrection and now getting involved in house churches and trying to raise up leaders and all the things that come with church and ministry and all those things, you think Peter would be writing about stuff of just like, hey, look, uh, you know, when you argue in church or when you're trying to pick the color of the carpet, here's 10 things you should remember not to do. Or he'd be doing something. But he's writing this, this letter. And, and again, think about this. Four decades or three decades later, this is what Peter's talking about. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope. Well, where does that new birth come from, Peter? Is it from going to church? Because you have planted a lot. Is that how we get the the new birth and the living hope? Is it from memorizing a bunch of scripture? And Peter's like, what scripture? I don't, you mean the Old Testament? He's like, no, the New Testament. I, I don't know what a New Testament is. I just write books. That's all I do. Right? Is it from that? Is it from what? Where's the living hope coming from, Peter? now 50 year old peter 60 year old peter through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead peter is not letting this go that same power is available to you and i as we deal with the issues in our lives and then he goes on and he says and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. You say, that's weird. Because the Old Testament hardly says anything about heaven. As a matter of fact, an Old Testament Jew would believe that you live on this life. And, and you, you have, lot, it's from generation to generation. And you get your shot. And you do your best. And you do your thing. It's the people of, of, of God. That's the most important thing. Where did Peter get this idea of heaven? Jesus. I can imagine Peter in his room going, oh my, oh, my heavenly father. Oh, oh that's what he was talking about. God, I wish I knew then what I know now. Man, I wish I, I, would, have, I would have treated things differently. I, I, wish, I wish when I was walking on the water, I knew then what I know now is that he's God and he has the power over pretty much everything and that even if I die, I'm going to be okay, and I wouldn't have gotten scared, I'll bet I could have gone five steps more. (laughs) Then I would have probably gotten scared. I wish I knew then. I wish I, I wish I could go back and just get two more steps. That would be cool. I wonder if he looks back and he's like, man, I wish I knew uh, that when Jesus was washing my feet that night, I wish I wasn't uncomfortable. I wish I didn't tell him to stop. I wish I I, I I had known that he was going to really die, and then he rose again, and he was going to be gone, and I wouldn't see him again. And, and uh, I just I miss him. I wish I had. I wish I had just relished that ceremony. I got this inheritance in heaven. He says this, and in this, you greatly rejoice. For now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Wait a minute. Peter's focus wasn't on this fictitious God that is supposed to make everything okay. Peter understands that you have trials. Peter understands that with a relationship with Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can actually go through trials. They don't have to be removed from your life. That's incredible. That's a whole different kingdom, if you will than the idea of I'm a slave to my circumstances. And Peter's saying, man, we, you greatly rejoice in this, even though for now you have to. And then he goes, you know what? God's gonna even just use the trials for you too. These have become so that the proven uh, genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which, is peri- uh, which perishes, even though it's refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, honor when Jesus is revealed. And then Peter does something that I'm so happy he did he starts writing to you and I. Now he's writing to, the, to a group of people uh, that now, after the decades that have gone by, they might not have seen Jesus. If you're a 20-year-old or whatever, you, wouldn't have, you would have known the stories. You probably would have known someone who saw Jesus or maybe even someone who saw the resurrected Jesus. And you, you know about it because the, the church is still growing and still expanding and moving at an incredible rate. But He says this to you and I because we might think that, man, the resurrection was so cool for them. I I wish it I I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have seen it. He says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. This is the result of putting your faith in Jesus. It's not finding a great church, which I think is super important. It's that you begin a relationship with him. And even though you don't see him, you can love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And you're just filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. See, it's difficult for me now if, if, if you could prove to me the Bible's wrong or whatever, uh, I've seen too much and I've heard too much. I, I've experienced too much in my relationship with Jesus to be able to back off now. Now, should I be farther along than I am? Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I do the best I can, but Peter's talking about this thing and you, don't ha- you didn't have to have seen it. Trust me, the church wouldn't be here if this, if this did not happen. The resurrection didn't happen. You you don't have to be there to believe. You don't have to see Jesus. You don't have to do that. It's already been done for you through the creation of the church. And then he says this incredible thing. He says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith. What is the end result of my faith? If the end result of my faith is to make it to heaven... I mean, that's good. I, trust me. I, I'm all about heaven. I don't. I definitely want to go. <laughs> I, I'll just make that clear. I definitely want to go, okay? So just let me finish, okay? No, the uh, the end result of your faith starts here. And Peter just puts this word picture together that if you include heaven, that's great. But even if you don't, Imagine if the result of your faith is the salvation of your souls. That you have a relationship with Jesus that's so rich that politics can't rob your soul. Your finances can't rob your soul. Your soul is saved. You have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Nothing can rob you of your soul. Jesus even said to, when he was talking to his disciples, uh, um, hey, don't worry about man. Don't don't worry about man. You need to worry about the person who's in charge of your soul. And I wonder if Peter was writing that going, man, I wish I knew then what I know now about the salvation of my soul and what a relationship with Jesus looks like. As Coe comes back up, I want to give you an opportunity to begin that journey. And uh, because somebody told me about it, and I'm glad they did. Somebody walked me through the process. I'm glad they did. And when I started the process, I I had no idea what I was heading into. I just wanted to go to heaven. I wish I knew then what I know now, that heaven starts here. It starts in my ability to cast all my cares upon God through what he did with Jesus. Because he lived, he died, and he rose again. And that same power of the resurrection is available to me to navigate through my life. It's not a get help scheme. It's not get help quick or get rich quick or whatever, self-help or whatever. It's a true relationship. And so... uh, one of the ways you start that relationship is just through a prayer and it's a prayer of surrender really and it's a prayer that basically has some elements to it where one you just identify yeah i can't do this on my own i keep missing the mark that's that missing the mark is a greek word for sin okay it's how 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 sin is translated in greek you're missing the mark it was an an, a you pull a bow and arrow back and you try to hit the center, and your sin is the margin that you didn't hit it. Well, guess what? None of us are really good archers on our own, okay? We need somebody to adjust that sin for us, to forgive it and say, you know what? You're getting better. You still didn't hit the bullseye. We're not going to worry about that. We're not going to focus on that. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He paid that price. And so we just admit that, yeah, I've, I've sinned. I've made mistakes. But I'm ready to turn now. That's basically what repentance means. When you say repent, it means to change your mind, to change your way of thinking. I'm not going to be focused on me and what I need and all that. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to say, Lord God, I want you to be Lord of my life. That's the third part of it, of being able to submit your life to him. So what I'm going to do is lead us in a prayer, and, um, a very simple prayer, and it's, uh, it'll be set up into little bite-sized chunks. Um, and if you want to pray it, and I, I actually encourage everyone who's already prayed this prayer to pray it as well. If you, if you're not ready, you don't need to pray it. It's fine. It's not, it's not, it's just an invitation, Um, and so I'll just, I'll say a phrase, and then whoever wants to, Christian, or just if you're new to, you're like, yeah, I, I want to, I want Jesus to be my Lord, and you can pray that with us. Dear Jesus, Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for living the perfect life. Thank you for loving me. God, I confess my past to you. And am ready to turn my life around today. I receive you as Lord of my life. And thank you for receiving me. In your name, amen.